Welcome to the Bone Coach Show, dedicated to helping you understand all things related to diet, lifestyle, bone health, and how you can live and thrive with low bone density and osteoporosis. I'm your host, Kevin Ellis, certified health coach, health and wellness speaker, and above all else, your bone coach. After being diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early 30s, I transformed my health through diet and lifestyle and now help my clients and community members do the same through my online coaching practice, Bone Coach. Look, there are no quick and easy cures for low bone density, but the choices we make every single day can have a powerful impact on our bones, our health, and our general well-being. I'll share the research, interview the experts, and help you figure out how to get the conditions right in your body so you can better your bones through diet and lifestyle. Short disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor, and this show should not be considered medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare team before making medical decisions and changes to your diet and lifestyle. With that being said, let's get on with the show. So for young patients, there are really three things, well, not just for young, for everybody, three things we should work on to boost hormones naturally. So I, when I had my fast heart rate and infertility was in a very stressed state. I still have some stress. I'm working on it. It's a journey, but I say stress is our body's biggest hormone hijacker. So it will rob you of hormones. You have to get stress in check. You just have to, to have optimal hormones. So there's no, there's no pill, potion, or powder that's gonna like replace lifestyle changes. So if you need to set boundaries, take a break, I'm preaching to myself here, go to yoga, right? Those are important for your hormones. And we need to start really equipping our youth and teaching them that it's okay to do those sort of things. If you haven't done so already, especially if you're newly diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis, or if your most recent bone density scan still showed more bone loss, Go ahead and pause this episode and head over to bonecoach.com to sign up for your free seven-day osteoporosis kickstart guide. That's going to give you everything you need step by step by step over the next seven days to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. You won't want to miss that. So pause this right now, head over to bonecoach.com and I'll be here as soon as you get back. Welcome, welcome to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to explore building optimal health in our later years is Stephanie Gray. Stephanie Gray is a functional medicine practitioner who helps men and women build sustainable and optimal health and longevity so that they can focus on what matters most to them. She helps women in midlife who feel like their bodies have betrayed them step back into their bodies by restoring optimal hormone levels so they can regain their sleep, figure, mood, and feel amazing once again. She is known for keeping hormone replacement therapy sexy, safe, and effective. She's been working as a nurse practitioner since 2009. She completed her doctorate focusing on estrogen metabolism from the University of Iowa in 2011. Additionally, she is a master's in metabolic nutritional medicine from the University of South Florida's medical school. Her expertise lies with, within integrative anti-aging and functional medicine. She's arguably one of the Midwest's most credentialed female health, healthcare providers, combining many certifications and trainings. She completed an advanced fellowship in anti-aging, regenerative, and functional medicine in 2013, and she became the first BioT certified provider in Iowa to administer hormone pellets as in also in 2013. She's appeared in numerous podcasts, summits, and TV interviews. She's a contributor to various health publications, including Mind Body Green. She's the initial author of FNP Mastery App and Amazon bestselling author of her book, Your Longevity Blueprint. She's the host of the Your Longevity Blueprint podcast and co-founder of Your Longevity Blueprint Nutraceuticals with her husband, Eric, and they enjoy spending time outdoors with their son, William. They founded the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic in Hi Hiawatha, Iowa. 
Uh, Stephanie, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. I think this is going to be good. So let's go ahead and get into this. And first thing I always like to do is start out with uh, people's a little bit of background on how you even got into the position that you're in now. Yeah. So a couple different pieces of my story, I'd say probably my health crisis as all of ours was one of them, but then twofold, I was firstly just raised in a healthy family. So raised in the Midwest, always had home cooked meals, parents took us to the chiropractor. We're always engaged in physical activity. So I felt like I, I just was kind of born to be healthy. That sounds weird, but as healthy as I thought I, as I was one day sitting at my desk, my heart took off to the races and I'll never forget that day. Cause I was sitting at my desk had a great morning seeing patients and just sitting there. And all of a sudden I had tachycardia, which is the, the term medical term for fast heart rate. And so as you read in my bio, my husband's our office manager and I tried to buzz him on my office phone, but I was so disoriented. I, I didn't even know what button to push. I, I thought I was having a heart attack. I wasn't sure what was going on. And I kind of made it down the hallway of my clinic. My nurse found me. I was super pale. Obviously I went to the emergency room that day and long story short, um, this landed me at Mayo Clinic and Mayo Clinic told me I could take a medication to control my heart rate, which was an option. And sometimes we need those options, right? But I knew that taking a medication wasn't going to tell me why this was happening to me. I knew there was a root cause of my problem. And so as a functional medicine practitioner, I wanted to get to that root cause. <laughs> so also at the same time, I was struggling with infertility. And so a lot of my friends were on to kind of like kid three and four and my womb was still empty. And I kind of had to succumb to the reality that I may not have kids. And that was and owning the hormone clinic, that was really hard for me because I felt like a failure. Like, why can I not have kids? I can help other patients get pregnant. What's going on with, with my health? So I wasn't as in tune to my health as I thought I was <laughs> at that time, but it's only kind of furthered my passion and helped me write my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, to help rebuild my health. And now I'm able to share that um, kind of that whole roadmap or blueprint with my patients. That's wonderful. And you really have a, from what I understand, a passion for functional medicine. And could you just explain maybe what's the difference between functional and conventional medicine? Yeah, I love talking about this. And you probably have had a lot of guests on your show who have maybe echoed some of this. But um, the analogy that I use in my book to kind of compare is the fire department versus the carpenter approach. So conventional medicine is more of the fire department, right? And so they're here to put out big, bad, ugly fires. So their two tools are an axe and a hose, aka drugs and surgery. So for me, right, I could have taken medication to control my heart rate. And believe me, there's time and place for drugs and surgery, right? I chose to not take that at that time. But they're, the fire department is great for emergencies. They're great for acute care. They're not so good for chronic disease management. And I think that's really where um, functional medicine comes in. So what I offer at my clinic is more a carpenter or a contractor approach. So we try to help repair and rebuild the body. So after a fire, let's say you did go to the emergency department, right, with a heart attack. Upon discharge, many patients aren't really taught how to prevent future fires. They're just kind of sent on their way. And with functional medicine, we really want to figure out why the faulty circuitry happened that led to the fire in the first place. Like we want to get to the root cause of the problem, discover that dysfunction and fix it. So we're more the carpenter or the contractor. And how did you, how did you get that interest in functional medicine? I mean, my parents, they weren't hippies, but they were growing wheatgrass juice on the counter. Like <laughs> growing up, they, they, I almost went to chiropractic school, but I wanted the ability to prescribe drugs. So I almost felt like it was in my blood to just, you know, want to discover the root cause of the problem. I just knew there was more to health. I, I think being, my parents were also self-employed and they had a high deductible. So they, they didn't want to take us to the doctor. They wanted to keep us healthy. And so we always took vitamins and whatnot. And I think, you know, I did 
I did go through conventional training because I wanted those prescriptive privileges, but I knew that there was kind of more to the story. So I guess the other tangent that kind of led me to functional medicine is I I specialized with um, urinary incontinence in school. And I, I really figured like there has to be a way to prevent this, right? To prevent all these individuals from ending up in nursing homes with urinary incontinence. And, and it turns out there is a non-surgical, non-pharmacological option for incontinence. And I thought if there's non-surgical, non-pharmacological options for treating incontinence, well, they probably are non-surgical, non-pharmacological options for tachycardia and infertility and all these other problems. And so I was really lucky. Um, I had someone introduce me to American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, and I went to a conference and the rest is history. I just thought, this is how I want to practice. This is how I want to change lives. And that's what I've been doing since. Love it. And I know you wrote your book, your longevity mm-hmm. blueprint, and you talk in that book, you talk about a house blueprint concept. Can you kind of break that down for us? And and how does this longevity blueprint build health? Yeah. So as I was going through my health crisis, I thankfully was already into functional medicine, right? And my husband kind of said, holy smokes, if you're falling apart and you're the one offering functional medicine, we better create some sort of roadmap, you know, guideline, whatever blueprint for our patients, because functional medicine can be very overwhelming. And so what I was trying to do through kind of my health crisis is navigate, how do I simplify what functional medicine can offer? And so I thought, I just, this analogy came to me, came to me one day, I thought, okay, so we know how to maintain our homes hopefully we keep hair out of the drains. We change our furnace filters. We're mowing the lawn, right? How do we maintain our bodies? Like it comes to us so naturally how to, you know, maintain our homes so that our homes last a long time. And so I I ended up drawing this analogy between how we maintain our homes to how we should be maintaining our body. So I kind of say our our bodies like our home, we need a blueprint to ensure that the final outcome is a place you can live for a long time. And obviously with the blueprint, you need a contractor, (laughs) also right to help you kind of build the home aka or build health within the body so what i'm doing which maybe sounds complex but through each chapter i'm sharing the most progressive functional medicine testing options available and discussing nutraceutical products as well that can help so in the book i'm kind of describing human fingerprints as being unique detailed markers of human identity so those are your test results there are test results listeners that really exist for every single organ system in your body that your doctor your regular doctor probably doesn't know about that functional medicine has testing options for. So for instance, I'm kind of comparing in chapter one, the foundation of the home to the gastrointestinal system in the body, right? You have to have a strong foundation upon which to build good health. And so from a functional medicine standpoint, we believe that um, that the foundation of health is your gut. So, and I know we, I interviewed you on my podcast and we talked a little bit about gut health and absorption of nutrients and whatnot. And so that's kind of coming um, fold, what do you call it? Through fold here, but Um, I'll just briefly go through the next couple chapters. So chapter two, in chapter two, I'm comparing um, the framework of the home to the musculoskeletal and nervous systems of the body. And then in chapter three, the electrical work of the home to genetics in your body, right? You want some genes turned on, some genes turned off. Chapter four, I'm comparing kind of having the appropriate keys to unlock certain doorways to repleting nutritional deficiencies in the body. Chapter five, I'm discussing tackling the laundry. So comparing your laundry room to your liver and gallbladder in the body. And then chapter six is my favorite, kind of comparing the heating and cooling system in the body to optimizing your hormones to your endocrine system. Chapter seven, I'm comparing kind of the plumbing because you want to have clog-free plumbing in the home, right? To cardiovascular disease and just reducing that. Then the body, chapter eight, maintaining roof integrity, comparing that to the immune system, kind of keeping that strong within the body. And then chapter nine is all about finding that contractor. 
So it's a lot. It's a very long, it's like 350 page book, but most patients um, really have appreciated that because they know that there have been organ systems for their health that have been neglected that they really need to, um, to deal with. And where do hormones fit into that picture? So again, <laughs> this is where I'm kind of comparing the heating and cooling system in the home to the endocrine system in the body, right? You want to have comfortable temperature in your home. You don't want to be too cold, not too hot, right? So you don't have low thyroid. You don't want to necessarily have menopausal symptoms either. So this is where I'm talking about how important it is to optimize adrenal, thyroid, and sex hormone health for men and women. Um, and I, I really talk about ways, which we can get into today, to boost hormones naturally or options for safe hormone replacement therapy, because some patients, they really do need hormone replacement therapy, despite what they may have been told. I go through a lot of um, dispelling of myths pertaining to hormone replacement therapy and most importantly, get to talking about estrogen metabolism, kind of how the liver detoxifies estrogen to really reduce estrogen-related cancers. And how do you test for hormones in your clinic, like hormone imbalances and things like that? Yeah, there are various different ways. Uh, so we can do saliva, blood, or urine testing. My favorite is urine testing. My doctorate was on estrogen metabolism. So I really look, I really enjoy looking at how someone is detoxifying from estrogen in the environment or from what they're taking. So urine testing is great for looking at breast cancer risk, or if someone has like fibroids, cysts, endometriosis, prostate cancer, even colon cancer, urine testing is wonderful. For younger patients, I like saliva hormone testing through the full month because then we can kind of match symptoms to labs. So if a woman's having a headache with ovulation or, you know, uh, preceding bleeding, we can compare symptoms with labs and really capture what's happening through the month. But the majority of what I do is in blood testing. So I see a lot of perimenopausal and postmenopausal women who want hormone, they want natural safe hormone replacement therapy. And for those patients, we're doing blood testing because let's face it, most of those patients are just low. It doesn't matter how you test them. They come back low and we need to optimize their levels. Sure. And what are what are some of those specific tests maybe that if you could highlight even just a few of the ones that we want to look at? Yeah. So in the blood for women, I will test FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. That's the menopause marker. So the higher that is, the more the body is screaming for estrogen. And I have women with very high FSH levels. Um, then we'll test estrone and estradiol. I don't just look at estradiol. Estradiol can convert to estrone. So especially in postmenopausal women, we want to check estrone. I've had a lot of patients, unfortunately, um, get kind of overdosed in estrogen because they'll go to their doctor with hot flashes. An estrogen level may get checked. It may not get checked. They'll get put on estrogen and then their estrogen comes back, you know, hundreds of points too high and they have estrogen dominant symptoms when if their provider would have ever checked estrone, they would have figured out they really didn't need estrogen. They actually needed progesterone or, or testosterone. Um, so I do check estrone and estradiol. I check progesterone, testosterone. Depending on the age of the patient, if they're younger, I'll check DHEA and pregnenolone because we can certainly use those as precursors to boost hormones. But if they're of the age where We'll just say, oh, the ovaries have kind of, um, they've had a long life. They've kind of shriveled up and thrown in the towel and they're kind of done producing hormones. We're going to just get to hormone replacement therapy. So I, I'll skip over the DHA and the pregnenolone. I think I said testosterone, if I haven't already, I'll test cortisol and then we'll run a full comprehensive thyroid panel as well. And and why are hormones important to the aging process? So, I mean, obviously this is going to be something that 
um, everybody is going to come to this kind of decision point where it's like, do I do mm -hmm. hormones or or not? Or what are the cases where you wouldn't actually do hormones? Oh, there are a few. <laughs> uh, maybe let me highlight three reasons um, aside from symptoms that someone would consider hormone replacement therapy. So to protect their bones, which obviously you're big on, right? Protect their brain and to protect their heart. So if you want to age well, right, you want to live longer, healthier, happier life, hormones can, I believe, really strongly help. Now, hormones also help when you think of, and I can kind of break this down, and I know you've had other guests on who probably have talked about this, but hormones can also help with other symptoms. So low estrogen symptoms, which I see all the time, are things like vaginal dryness, urinary incontinence, hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog. Low progesterone is very common. That's kind of the first hormone I see to go in younger women. And that was something I needed when I was going through infertility. I actually had to take progesterone shots through my pregnancy. So low progesterone can lead to heavy cycles and anxiety, irregular cycles, poor sleep. Um, uh, I'll even say irregular bleeding, whatnot. And then low testosterone uh, can lead to low uh, mood, motivation, drive, libido, energy, muscle mass, whatnot. And then, like I said, I mean, all the hormones can help with bones and memory and with heart health. And so when you kind of ask who wouldn't take hormones, my in first instinct is, well, everybody needs them. <laughs> but there are some select cases where we wouldn't give them. So epilepsy is one. If a woman has epilepsy, we don't give estrogen. Um, we can give progesterone and testosterone, but we would be very cautious with estrogen use. Obviously, if someone had an estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, I'm not going to, you know, pump her full of estrogen. So there, there are cases, same with a man, if he had an active prostate cancer. I want to be very clear, though, maybe I'm going off tangent, going on tangent here. Hormones do not cause cancer. If hormones cause cancer, we'd have a bunch of 20 year olds, right, with high levels of hormones walking around with cancers. And then patients in their 90s with low levels without cancers. And the opposite is true. So hormones don't cause cancer, but they could feed an existing aggressive cancer. So we do want to be cautious and rule those cancers out before we would give a man testosterone or a female estrogen. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that's really important to understand before you just jump into something mm -hmm. is get, uh, get a baseline of some of these really important tests, understand if you have any of these kind of leading indicators or markers ahead of time, any other conditions that you think would not be the, a good fit to uh, use hormone replacement therapy. There probably are more, but you know, not a ton are, are um, at the front of my brain right now. I will say another myth, which this kind of answers your question is that those who smoke, not that I advise smoking, or those with clotting disorders cannot take hormone replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. And that's also not true for certain routes of administration. So we've talked before, you know, I'm a big fan of hormone pellet therapy and pellets are cleared through the kidneys. They actually, because they're not taken by mouth, they don't go through kind of the gut and liver and increase clotting factors like some oral hormones can. So, you know, if I had someone with clotting disorders, I'm not going to give them oral estrogen, but would I be comfortable giving them hormones through a different route, like through pellets? Yes. So that's also something that we have to have to think about. And can we talk about just the different forms of hormone replacement therapy? Can mm -hmm. we just walk through those kind of step by step and maybe the the benefits or the downsides of of, of each of those? Yeah. So typically when patients come to my office, we do a very thorough history. We're looking, we, they fill out a symptom questionnaire. We're looking at their labs, right? To then determine 
which form of hormones <laughs> is best suited for them. So the entry, I would say the entry level you know, to hormone replacement therapy would be an option like a topical gel or cream. And when I started my practice, I prescribed a lot of those and they work for some people to a certain extent, right? What I found in my practice a couple of years in is a lot of patients had kind of a, we'll call it a dermal fatigue, a receptor kind of resistance or tissue downregulation where the hormones just didn't work as well. And so I had to learn some other routes of giving hormones, but those for patients who are super sensitive, who just want to start with entry level, I think topicals are very reasonable. Are they going to help build bones to the extent pellets can? No, but they can help. Um, there are also sublingual lozenges. You can get hormones by compounding pharmacy. You can compound different options under the tongue. There are also pills. There are patches. And then lastly, there are pellets. So I'm a big fan of pellets. They're more aggressive. I think they're the most superior option, but they also come with the greatest risk of side effects. You want me to kind of break those down? That, yeah, yes. that'd be great to yeah. kind of understand that. Sure. So in a woman who has a uterus, too much estrogen can cause her to bleed. Most of my patients don't want to bleed. They've bled for years. They come to me. They don't want to keep bleeding. <laughs> so we don't want to give a woman too much estrogen. Um, too much estrogen can cause breast tenderness, fluid retention, and weight gain. So we want to be very cautious how much we're giving and make sure we balance that out with progesterone. Too much testosterone can cause acne, oily skin, hair growth like peach fuzz and even some whiskers. A woman's not going to grow a beard, but she can get some whiskers, right? And then hair loss on the top of the head if we give too much. Now, sometimes patients say the benefits outweigh even those risks <laughs> and they like the hormones regardless. But those are some um, signals we should listen to. And obviously when that's happening for patients, lower the dose, right? We need to lower the dose if that's happening. Side effects of progesterone are probably few and far between. I mean, it can cause somnolence, but that's kind of why we give it at night. It's great for sleep. I've had very few patients not tolerate progesterone, but occasionally it'll cause breast tenderness or headaches or low blood pressure. So we need to watch for those. But I would say it's very well tolerated, progesterone is. And then uh, what what would you say would be in terms of hormone replacement therapy, what are the differences between, you know, natural and synthetic mm -hmm. hormones? Yeah, I talk a lot about this in my book in chapter six, where I actually show the molecular structure of like synthetic, for instance, medroxyprogesterone acetate and compare that to natural progesterone or synthetic like testosterone cypionate versus, versus natural um, testosterone. They actually have different molecular structures which is a big deal when you think of hormones binding to receptors. So hormones are signaling molecules. You want them to fit like a key fitting in a keyhole. You want that to not just bind or fit partially, it should fit perfectly, right? In order to cause, send that signal, cause good things to happen and not bad. And so when we say bioidentical hormones, we mean they're literally biologically identical to the hormones that your body should be, should be making. So that's all that I prescribe at my practice. I don't prescribe any of the synthetic hormones. Synthetic hormones um, were used in the Women's Health Initiative study that got all the bad rap that scared providers and patients away from hormones and left, quite frankly, women, I mean, neglected. They, they had neglected care. They were, they were not given hormones. Hormones were not taken off the market, but they were barely used. And the number one most prescribed drug the next year was Prozac because all these women were left untreated. So we can choose to not replicate what was done in that study, although sidebar bone density did improve in that study, even with the synthetic hormones, right? But we can choose to not replicate what was done in that study and not use the synthetic hormones that can cause more harm than good. We can still get the, the benefit from hormones, but we want to prescribe 
the natural form, which your body's not going to reject, which will bind and fit more like a key fitting in a keyhole. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, and I know you already touched on, uh, in terms of do hormones cause cancer, which is, that's the Mm -hmm. biggest concern for most people when they're they're considering it. Yep. No hormones don't. I, I would say that we can go back to the women's health initiative study, which is again, partially where that hype came from. And not only did they use synthetic hormones, they gave oral hormones, right? And that's where, again, we can get into this, or maybe at the end of the podcast, get into estrogen metabolism. But we think that's where in that study, some of that supposed cancer risk came from is how it didn't, it it really didn't come down to estrogen itself, but how synthetic estrogen was metabolized through the body. So if the liver can't appropriately metabolize it, and and we can look for those markers on urine testing, that's the strength of urine testing. We can see how the liver is handling that estrogen. And then if poorly, we can favorably impact that using certain nutritional strategies to reduce those sort of breast cancer, or it's not just breast cancer, it's ovarian and uterine and colon and prostate cancer risks as well. A uh, couple of things that, um, is there a certain age, at, you know, is that you're like, nope, you know, that's the cutoff for hormone replacement therapy. Cause you know, that's, that's a big question for our audience too, is, you know, am I, am I too, is it too late for me? Never. I, I first, I thought you were going to ask when, how young we would initiate it, but you went the other way. You went, you know, how, how late would you start you could, someone? You could start there too, because I, <laughs> I think go, th- go the full spectrum because, um, not only, I mean, our audience is mostly women 50 to 65 plus that have osteopenia, osteoporosis, but we've also got kids and grandkids and things like mm-hmm. that too. So yeah, let's go yeah. ahead and go the spectrum. Yeah. So well, now I want to go a whole nother direction too. So make sure I bring this back okay? <laughs> um, yeah. for for younger patients. Cause I, I see women all the time who say, thank you so much, right? You, you basically, you know, help save my life and my marriage. I'm not as moody and <laughs> whatnot. I have energy and libido back and whatnot, but they don't want their daughters to end up in the same situation they were. So they're asking, should I be having my teenage daughter's hormone levels tested? Heck yeah. I think we should be testing hormone levels at every age, if not every decade, so we can track trends and intervene sooner rather than later, right? Had I have known my progesterone was as low as it was, you know, I probably could have gotten pregnant earlier than I did. Thank God. Spoiler alert. I did have a a child eventually. Thank God. Um, But had I had known earlier, I could have intervened earlier. So it's never too early to test. So that's a huge take home. I think you should have hormone levels tested very early. We don't always initiate hormone replacement therapy in teenagers, right? But we can do a lot of things to boost hormones naturally for that patient population. So can I go there for a second and then go for come it, back yeah. to answering your question? So for young patients, there are really three things, well, not just for young, for everybody, three things we should work on to boost hormones naturally. So I, when I had my fast heart rate and infertility was in a very stressed state, I still have some stress. I'm working on it. It's a journey, but I say stress is our body's biggest hormone hijacker. So it will rob you of hormones. You have to get stress and check. You just have to, to have optimal hormones. So there's no, there's no pill potion or powder that's going to like replace lifestyle changes. So if you need to set boundaries, take a break, I'm preaching to myself here, go to yoga, right? Those are important for your hormones. And we need to start really equipping our youth and teaching them that it's okay to do those sort of things. Um, so reducing stress is one piece that we emphasize in young patients. Second piece is to really help fix nutritional deficiencies. And I know you're big on that too. So I, I know you've had celiac from interviewing you on my podcast and I 
I too, I had positive celiac markers. I didn't have celiac disease yet, but I certainly had malabsorption of, of nutrients, one being magnesium. I was super low on, which is important for hormone production. So we run a comprehensive nutritional test on all of our patients. So we can look at vitamins, minerals, amino acids, antioxidants, and omegas. So really fixing nutritional deficiencies is important for so many reasons for boosting hormones. It also helps with detoxification. And that's kind of the third tip with boosting hormones naturally is you've got to really detox the body. So I have kind of three tips with detoxification that I recommend patients uh, avoid. So plastic, and those are plastics, fragrances, and dairy. Plastics have endocrine disrupting properties and plastics are all around us. So if you have, you know, ketchup, baby formula, like cough spray, I mean, plastics are everywhere and they can really, really alter our endocrine system, AKA that, you know, heating and cooling system I was talking about right in the house are that, that hormone system. And so um, really choose safe personal care products. Anything that has a fragrance is not good. So try to get fragrance free products. And then my kind of last passion in that department is to really have patients with hormone issues, avoid dairy. So when you think of dairy, right, dairy comes from a cow, the cow might have been injected with growth hormones. They're also eating probably pesticide-laden grains that may have mold toxins on them. All of those have endocrine-disrupting properties. And then that dairy is served to you in a plastic-lined plastic jug. I mean, there's just layer upon layer upon layer of endocrine-disrupting chemicals within dairy. So when I have patients who do have hormone imbalances at young ages, we get them off dairy. We run food sensitivity testing. I had to go off gluten. So did you. Like there are, there are things other than dairy that are not good for hormones, but dairy can really impact hormones. And I have patients all the time who they'll go dairy free and suddenly their cycles are better. Their painful cramps are improved, right? So really taking out plastics, fragrances, and dairy are two or three huge points for helping detoxify the body to boost hormones naturally. But now I can go into the that back to the question you asked. So I started progesterone in my 20s and I have had uh, female patients who I've started hormones on. I think 20s is probably the earliest. I don't think I have any like teenagers that I like put on progesterone. Um, but I do have, and I have men in their early 20s who have no testosterone, who I have put on testosterone replacement. And now I'm suddenly realizing something you asked earlier, like who would you not give hormones to? So testosterone can lower sperm count. So in a young patient, you know, let's say they're recently married, wanting to have kids right away, that's something that would need to be discussed with that patient. That testosterone will lower sperm count short term. It'll recover when the testosterone, you know, is stopped and then the patient can reinitiate it once they're, you know, pregnant. But that's also something to consider. So I've started patients pretty young on hormones, but we also need to concurrently be work be working on uh, how to improve hormones naturally. And then on the flip side of that, I have patients in their 80s and 90s, don't have anyone over 100 on hormones, uh, but I have patients in their 80s and 90s and they and their children, uh, you know, don't plan on stopping them taking the hormones because they've aged so well. And they want to keep the, their faculties back to their heart, their brain and their bones. They have no intention on stopping them because they've aged well and they strongly believe hormones have been a part of that. So they plan to continue. Did I answer all that question? Yeah. And then, and then one of the other things that I, I think about too, is if somebody has had a hysterectomy, do they need hormone replacement? More than likely, yes. So I, I have had patients, sadly, in their 20s who've had hysterectomies and they didn't find a, a hormone provider like ourselves until 
their 40s or 50s. And guess what? By that time they have osteoporosis, you know, by that time they've lost their memory, maybe their hair, they're overweight, you know, they're miserable. So the the true answer to that is, you know, based on hormone levels. So I have patients who have hysterectomies all the time. We, we try to prevent them from having the hysterectomy, but if you have one, we need to know if your ovaries are removed or not. And then if they are, I have patients who they love data. So we'll check hormones a week after surgery, a week before surgery and a week after surgery. And sometimes we will see levels decline that it's that quick, right? If they still have their ovaries, the research shows ovaries last about two years post-surgery. But even if they have their ovaries, if they don't have their uterus, blood supply has been cut to the ovaries. And that's why they don't tend to last a long time. So really how a provider should answer that question is, you know, how do we know if, if a patient with a hysterectomy needs hormones? Well, how are they feeling and what are their labs, right? Combine those two together to make that decision but sooner rather than later. Don't wait 20 years because we're not, I mean, I, I shouldn't say we can't gain what we've lost, but it's going to be a lot harder if we wait that long. Are there any other really important things uh, regarding hormones or, you know, somebody's age or case or situation or anything like that that you think is important for our audience to understand? Sure. Good question. Let me think. Uh, so I think one thing that's really important uh, is to emphasize that women need testosterone. I think a lot of women think that testosterone is a male hormone, and it is absolutely not. Men and women both have more testosterone than any other hormone. Like, we need testosterone <laughs> to live, literally. So women, so it's okay for women to take testosterone. So I think that would be one thing. We already talked about how hormones don't cause cancer. Um, I guess another myth is that you can only take hormones short term. So a lot of patients are told, you know, well, maybe don't start them yet because you're only going to be able to take them for five years. So wait to take them until you need them until you're having hot flashes or vaginal dryness. And I totally disagree with that. That applies to synthetic hormones. So I have, I mean, I've been in practice, I don't know, 13 years now. I have patients who have been on hormones a lot longer than that <laughs> and they're doing just fine. So if you want the benefits of the hormones, by all means, you can keep taking them long-term. Sounds good. This has been great. Uh, Dr. Stephanie, I appreciate you sharing all your knowledge and wisdom around hormones and things like that. I want to make sure people understand where can they find you uh, if they want to get in touch with you too. Yeah. Um, so I have a couple websites, ihhclinic.com, which is Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic. And then my other brand, I guess, is yourlongevityblueprint.com. So that's where my, my book and my supplements and I do have a free tip sheet there, um, the top tips to boost your hormones naturally that we discussed today. Um, obviously, my book is there as well, which you can get on Amazon anywhere books are sold. And then I have a free ebook on how to create resilience for your health and your hormones. And so I'll give you a link for that as well that you can certainly post. And then where else can you find me? Uh, on Instagram, Stephanie Gray, DNP. Awesome. This is great. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to link to all the resources, everything that we mentioned here today over in the show notes at bonecoach.com forward slash Stephanie Gray, your longevity blueprint. Uh, Stephanie, thank you again so much for your time. And for everyone listening, I want to thank you. We'll see you in the next episode. Hope you found this episode of the Bone Coach Show helpful. You can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned over at bonecoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, be sure to share it with someone you love, a friend, family member, even a group of people. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode that can help you improve your bones, your health, 
the near future. One last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com for more great resources to help you get on the path to stronger bones and an active future. I'm your bone coach, Kevin Ellis. I'll see you in the next episode.